this is Denise Lee Yan, and welcome to the Brand as Business Bites podcast. The Brand as Business Bites podcast features great stuff for your brain to chew on, including insights and interviews with newsmakers, brand builders, and thought leaders. It's available on iTunes and on my website, Denise Lee. Today, I get the pleasure of interviewing someone who usually is interviewing others. He's Eduardo Brown, and he is the former director of the World Business Forum, where he has interviewed world leaders such as Bill Clinton, Rudy Giuliani, Mikhail Gorbachev, and business luminaries including Jack Welch, Tom Peters, and Herb Kelleher. His new book, People First Leadership, How the Best Leaders Use Culture and Emotion to Drive Unprecedented Results, features the insights he's gleaned from these conversations. Much of what Eduardo resonates with me, what, what much of what Eduardo writes resonates with me, so I'm pleased to welcome him and speak with him today. Hello, Eduardo. Hello, Denise. I'm so glad to be here with you now. Great. And I understand that you are in Lisbon today, is that correct? Yes, indeed. A uh, wonderful afternoon. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. And so I want to start where your book starts, which is about culture. And so very broad question to start off with. How do you define culture? And what is its role in producing business results? Well, that's a great question. Um, people normally define culture as how we do things around here or these sets of principles and values and behaviors that drive an organization. And although I agree with those definitions, they take me nowhere because it's like I am who I am. They don't get the insight of what's the power of culture. So I define culture as anything and everything that creates a sense of purpose, emotions, pride, um, uh, a sense of belonging, of, of team, uh, gratitude, trust, self-confidence, and other positive emotions. Because when people experiment and live those particular emotions, their individual performance and their group performance get multiplied by two, by three, by four times. So that's the power of culture. It aligns behavior, but most importantly, it creates an enormous energy and power giving those specific emotions. Well, now, you know, um, it's interesting that you emphasize emotion so much. In fact, I wanted to read a, a quote from your book um, it says that culture generates emotions. So in as much as your role as a leader is essentially to create and manage your company's culture, your role as a leader is essentially to produce certain emotions. And in your book, you introduced a new leadership concept um, that the CEO, CEO should really stand for chief emotions officer. And so all this talk about emotion is I think somewhat surprising in a business context. And in, in, in many ways, emotion seems like a, a foreign concept in business and leadership. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so help us understand why it's so important. <laughs> well, I first want to, to stop by saying the last 150 years, we just 
have focused business-wise on, on the intelligence, on the design, on all those aspects that have to do with how we do things, why we do things, um, but not on the actual performance of those things. And so our business culture never, and our business models, you know, when you take uh, uh, strategy models or marketing models, the human being is absent. The passion of Mary or the pride of Joe is not in any of those. And it happens to be that's so important to business results. And so um, we need to introduce them because we as human beings are visceral beings. We, we need to feel our emotions to deliver on our full potential and capabilities. Mm. But it's that's but it's so foreign. Like, why do people, why do business leaders not recognize that? It, I mean, it makes so much sense when you say that. But why is why have for the, la for the last 150 years have we not done that? Because there was one dimension, the the what we call the hard variables that were underperforming, and so it was it made sense that the the greatest opportunities were on the strategic side on the hard variable side how we organize production and i say this is was my own uh, uh learning path i'm an engineer then i started an mba so for me originally production and and marketing and strategy were everything but leading organizations is all about people i remember a quote interviewing A.G. Lafley, the CEO of Procter & Gamble, mm -hmm. who had um, a history and renaissance background as an undergrad and only in the late 30s studied an MBA, I asked him, as a CEO, what was more important, your history and renaissance background or your MBA? And he laughed and said, really? The MBA gives you a structure of how business works. But what really drives people when you have to lead 155,000 people in the organization and hundreds of thousands outside the organization is understanding people. Mm -hmm. And for that, my history and Renaissance background were much more uh, important in, in who I am and how I lead. Hmm. That's so interesting. And I know, um, I know several people have had the chance to, to work with AG personally and can, I think, attest to his his, um, how that manifest, how his background has manifested in very capable, inspiring leadership. So, Let me add, let me add, people like from Michael Eisner to Herb Kelleher said the most important thing were, was my humanistic background. Mm. You know, understanding that's all about people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, let's break this down a little bit more. In your book, again, it's called People First Leadership. You discuss five roles that make up the job of the chief emotions officer, again, the CEO. Would you please give us a brief overview of each of those roles and, and perhaps an example of a leader who embodies them or who does something to exemplify them? Okay, that's... Um, let, me, let me pick up those roles from the emotions they create. I think the first very important emotion is a sense of purpose. So the first role of leadership is to create a purpose, to create what I call a dream, something 
that's not a, just a goal. It's something you jump out of bed every morning to go running to work and, and to perform. So a sense of purpose, leaders need to create purpose. Um, the, sense, the second emotion that I think is important is to create a sense of belonging, of community, of team. Um, and there the leader needs to care about its people, care about every single one of the people that contribute to the job, to the task, to the dream, to the purpose. Mm -hmm. um, great leaders look into your eyes, know your name, know what you're there for. The third role of a leader is to create trust. And we create trust through communication, but not just the things we have to do to perform our job, is the exchange of ideas. So you need to talk and you need to listen. Mm. The exchange of emotions, you need to inspire and you need to empathize, you know, understand what the people are feeling. And then you need to walk your talk, you be mm. consistent, coherent. All those things create trust, bond, mm -hmm. and is such an important role of a leader to create a bond, trust. The fourth is to create empowerment, to delegate, uh, with a clear sense of, of what the criteria are, what the, the resources are, and to learn and to back up every one of your team members in whatever decision they make. What's the impact of that? What, what emotion that creates self-esteem? And when people grow in self-esteem, they grow in their potential, in their task. And it's such an important role of a leader. Sometimes leaders think that they need to take all the decisions because they take better decisions than their colleagues or their team members. And that's a great mistake. You'll, you'll be limited to your own capacity there. Mm -hmm. And the fifth role of leadership is to create and manage a culture. And what emotion that that imply? It can imply many, but I like to select pride. Mm -hmm. When people when people are proud of what the company, the task, the purpose they belong to, their individual and group performance is multiplied. Mm -hmm. And let me um, uh, emphasize that this new CEO, therefore someone that creates all those emotions, first needs to be to feel and to believe those emotions in himself or herself. Mm -hmm. You need to be passionate about what you're creating, convinced with a sense of purpose to the dream you're proposing everyone to follow, um, you know, to care about people, mm -hmm. to create trust, to create a pride. But the second thing is, this is not about boss or the owner of a company. This is about each one of us. In any role, we might not even the boss of the team, but just a team member, you can exercise your leadership by creating all those emotions in yourself and the people surrounding you. And people will like to work with you because it's so attractive to work with people that are passionate about what they do. Well, so now that, that touches on something that I had wanted to ask you about, because I believe that your book, while it um, is 
particularly both useful and inspiring to people in formal leadership positions. I, I, I do believe that others can get so much out of it as well. So talk to, talk a little bit more about if you are not in, in uh, you know, if you're not a designated leader, if you don't have that title, um, how, how do you um, embody these roles? How do you create these emotions? Hmm. Well, I think it's a lifetime process. And that's the good and the bad news. <laughs> the good news is it's all in your hands. It depends on you. And the bad news is that it takes time to understand what your passions are, what your talents are, and how you want to change the world around you. Because what is leadership? Is inviting people to change the world around you. And it might be just uh, uh, your workplace, the block you live in, or, or, or the state or the country. Very few people change the country, but definitely all of us change our workplace in the way we behave mm -hmm. in that workplace. But up to now, and following the same premises we said at the beginning, that businesses were built around, if you take you know, Henry Ford, the Industrial Revolution, 5% of the organization had to think, design what we were going to do, how we were going to do it. And 95% of the people just had to follow a procedure, orders, mm -hmm. methods. Mm -hmm. In today's world, in the knowledge economy, in the creative economy, every single one of us has a role of designing our workplace. And therefore, everyone has a part, a small but significant part and responsibility of designing who we are and how we want to work, mm -hmm. how we want to change the world around us. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's a magnificent invitation. And, and again, it's, I'm just a messenger. <laughs> I, I, I heard those messages and they touched my heart and I want to spread the news. You know, you, you're, you have to be the owner of your own workplace. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I want to shift gears for just a moment to talk about a subject that is near and dear to my heart, brand, obviously. And um, in a piece that you wrote for Huffington Post, you said, quote, um, you need to think about employees and customers as the two ends of one integrated ecosystem. They both share the same brand identity. They are both fans, only with different roles. When you look at it from the inside, you call this corporate culture. When you look at it from the outside, it is branding. Now, I couldn't agree more with what you, what you wrote there. And so I just wanted you to say more about the relationship between leadership, culture, and brand. Well, um, I say in, in, in one sentence that corporate culture is the heart of your brand. Um, some people that have relatively strong brands but don't understand the concept of co corporate culture, I say, okay, Start with your uh, value proposition, your brand value proposition, and start to think, if I have to deliver innovation, if I have to deliver service, how would I have to be inside to deliver that? Mm -hmm. For example, if you are, if you're, you're a technology company and innovation is part of your value proposition, you need to have innovation inside. Mm -hmm. 
to have innovation, one of the behaviors you need to have is experimentation. You have to try things, new things. Mm -hmm. And if you try new things, definitely you'll have mistakes, error, and you have to embrace error and learn from those errors. Innovation implies certain values and behaviors like experimentation and embracing and learning from errors. But if you are a Swiss private bank and, you know, you take people's money and you invest it, maybe innovation is not part of your <laughs> brand. And therefore, experimentation and embracing mistakes. You don't get, go back to your client saying, oh, look, I tried a new investment. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing already, definitely. You know, so the value proposition has to be aligned with your core corporate values. Mm -hmm. um, I put also the example of some banks that go to an agency and say, okay, the agency goes to the market and says, customers want, you know, uh, young banks, uh, flexible, uh, and, 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 and very fast in delivering their, their products. And then the customer walks into your bank and finds, you know, wooden walls, uh, uh, grown-up, uh, 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 traditional clerks, you, you will disappoint your customers because your value proposition that is communicated does not correspond to the inner DNA of your bank. And so that's why I think uh, that corporate culture and brands are two sides of the same coin. Do you, do you find that most leaders understand this, or is this something that is um, a, a new concept or something that people need to really work on? That's very interesting, because even leaders like, and you asked me at the beginning of the examples, Herb Kelleher is such an amazing example of, of corporate culture, because, you know, he broke all the strategy books paradigms you know in, a, in an industry like um, the airline industry that has so many profitability problems um, decided to have a low-cost strategy if you go to the manual say oh be careful because you have s small margins well the reality was that not only he was the most profitable company in terms of return to the investor over 30 years among all the airline industry, but among all the S&P 500 companies between 1973 and 2003, how did he achieve this? By focusing on people, focusing on people and having an amazing service because people were so convinced of the purpose. Their, their purpose, their dream is connecting people was important in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so he himself sometimes, I think, doesn't realize the different aspects of what we're talking about. Because there are people that innately, they're so passionate. They use the word passionate because that's how they feel. They don't necessarily conceptualize what they do. Great leaders do it, not because they follow a checklist, but because they follow their hearts. And so I think that there is value in having been able to decode a lot of the great leaders' behaviors into these uh, simple uh, steps mm -hmm. for, for ordinary professionals like uh, ourselves or myself. <laughs> Absolutely.
<laughs> okay, well, Eduardo, um, please let my listeners know how they can learn more about you and your work and your new book. Again, it's okay. People First Leadership, How the Best Leaders Use Culture and Emotion to Drive Unprecedented Results. Well, um, I have my Facebook page. Um, I have a Twitter, E-D-U-B-R-A-U-N. Um, and uh, my website, Eduardo-Braun, uh, B-R-A-U-N. And I really, in, the, the book is the result of thousands of conversations. And I now realize, once the book is published out there, that each book in itself is a new conversation with a reader. And I think it's everything is working progress. So your feedback, like this conversation, and, and all the other feedback will allow us to better understand a very complex and human aspect like leadership. Right. Well, there, there you heard it then. Everyone who's listening to this podcast, you've heard that Eduardo would love to hear your feedback and continue the conversation with you. So I will um, put the links to those, um, to, to those pages that he mentioned in my notes. And Eduardo, I um, am just so thankful not only to have had the opportunity to speak with you um, and the opportunity to read your book, but an opportunity to have met you. Um, I think that uh, what, you're, what you're bringing into the world is a very powerful message and one that's much needed. And so thank you um, and congratulations and best wishes with the rest of your launch. Thank you, thank you very much, Denise. And let, let me add one more thing. In, yes. in traditional management, taking care of the people was a trade-off for profitability. And what I found is that is the underlying cause of great results and profitability. So, um, as you say, it's a, it's a great, great news. And I'm just a messenger. We are all messengers of this uh, new era in management where we're going to be people-centered and, and, and people-first leadership. That's a great note to end on. Thanks again. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to the Brand as Business Bites podcast. Be sure to subscribe to it on iTunes or through my website, deniseleeyan.com. And check out my new best-selling book, What Great Brands Do, The Seven Brand-Building Principles That Separate the Best from the Rest. Go to whatgreatbrandsdo.com. And remember, good is the enemy of great. Greatness is a choice. Choose to be great.